morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. And I just want to stop and say for all of you who listen to the Bible lesson, I hope you also listen to the announcements because there's some very meaningful information there that I like to keep separate from the lesson itself, but that you ought to keep yourself informed about. So welcome to this Bible lesson. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, the Apostle Paul prays for us believers in Christ. Here's what he has to say. He says, For this reason, prayer, I bow my knees before God the Father, who is the prototype of the best Father. Praying on your knees is one way to pray. There are a lot of different ways to pray, and it doesn't have to only be on your knees. Ephesians 3.15, from which, Father, every family in heaven and on earth, both angels and humans, derives its name. If you have a name, you got that from God the Father. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that God the Father would grant you believers in Christ, according to the standard of his glorious riches, to be strengthened in the innermost being with divine power, through his God, the Holy Spirit. Notice that where God the Father strengthens us is in the innermost being. He is not superficial. We are. We're superficial. He's not. He's going right to the heart of it. He's going right to the core of it. He's not, not flitting around on the outskirts of our life. Ephesians 3.17 So that Christ may dwell in your hearts and in your hearts, meaning in your thoughts and in your conduct, through faith, you, what is faith? You placing your confidence in something. And in the Christian way of living, we as believers in Christ are placing our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that you might keep on being rooted like a plant and grounded like a building in unconditional love. Paul using analogies that people of the day would understand. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, and that you may be able to comprehend along with all the saints, that's all believers in Christ. Believers in Christ are saints, not sinners. And that you may be able to grasp what is the breadth, how wide, and what is the length, how long, and what is the height, how high, and what is the depth, how deep God the Father's unconditional love is for you. Ephesians three nineteen. And that you may be able to know through experience the unconditional love of Christ as well, a love which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of Now I know that what you woke up thinking this morning as you looked in the mirror at that scary sight that is in the mirror, I know what you were saying to yourself is, God loves me unconditionally. That's exactly what you were saying this morning, right? Isn't it? No. You're talking to yourself and everything was negative. And those verses in Paul's prayer say that that should not be our mindset. That we should remember as believers in Christ that we are loved by the sovereign God of the universe. In the midst of the chaos in this world, there can't be enough messages to remind us believers that our God is in control of the universe and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. That he has us personally in mind by name at all times. 
that he has a plan for his believers and that he has a personal plan for each one of us. God is on our side. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 say so. They say this, What then shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to Romans chapter 8, verse 29? What shall we say face to face with all these things? If God the Father is for us, believers in Christ, and he is, who is ever going to be successful in opposition against us? Romans chapter 8, verse 32. If God the Father didn't spare his own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, but delivered him over to death for us all, how will the Father not also, now that we're in union with Christ, freely give us all things? Now, I'm sure you hear this every night on the news, don't you? Isn't that what the news is telling you? Isn't the news assuring you that God loves you and that God is on your side and that he has made these perfect provisions in eternity past for you? Isn't that what you're hearing when you go to the news? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, what you're hearing is that a woman's little kid drowned in a swimming pool. What you hear is that a black guy carjacked somebody in the bed, bath, and beyond parking lot. And those are the things that you gravitate to. Those are the things that you mentally are filling your head with. Things that are designed to make you feel lousy about yourself. Things that are designed to make you feel scared. Things that are designed to teach you that the world is a horrible place and you should hide. But coming to, to things like this, this lesson, which is saying the exact opposite. Exact opposite. God loves you unconditionally, meaning no conditions. He's never been disappointed with you. He's not bothered by anything that's wrong with you. He's not counting your mistakes against you. You know, we don't want to hear those messages. That's, too, that's just too good. The lousy things are easier to believe. Well, God is on our side. And by right, what that means is that we always can expect the best that our God has to offer. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And I'm sure you heard that on the news this week, didn't you? Did you hear that, or did you hear, oh, there are many roads to God, or did you not hear anything about God? Hmm. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians, and being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. And that deep, intimate, and personal relationship is going to come in real handy in the two hours before we go into the hospice to get the morphine drip to get euthanized. See? Because all the stuff that you think is important in your life, all your, your mobile phone, that's not going to help you in that two hours. You know, wondering what's going to happen when you close your eyes in this life. Is your phone telling you? Is your family telling you? Are you exposing yourself to that? Or are you just playing 
Is life just a game to you? Because it's not a game. This has meaning. And God is the one who gives it the meaning, not people. So we're Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of planet Earth. He is a liar that deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And that means he will be dethroned at a future time and thrown into the outer darkness known as the lake of fire. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, people who talk from behind a mask. You travel around on sea and land to make one convert to your religion, and when he becomes converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus Christ was talking very negatively about religion. Isn't that interesting? Religion deceives many into thinking they're saved when they might not be. And it works really well. I remember when I was part of a religion and people would ask me, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so. I hope so. That's not good enough in the two hours of hospital just before you get the morphine drip. That's not good enough. We don't want to hope so. We want to know so. So billions of people are deceived by religion. And those who are deceived by religion don't stop to examine the doctrines of their religion to look for the deception. As a matter of fact, most people don't even know that their religion has doctrines. And if you bring up the doctrines of their religion to them, they'll go, well, I don't believe that. Then why are you part of that religion? Because, see, I believe everything that is in the 66 books of the Bible because it's all true. That's one of the wonderful things about feeling bad during a particular day and opening up the Bible and reading something and all of a sudden you realize after you read it that everything that was in there was absolutely true. It's amazing to have that confidence and we certainly do. Well, the Word of God, the Bible is the truth and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. About 80% of believers in Christ don't think Satan exists. You think he's not good at deceiving? As believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, a union we can't get out of, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, the systemic destruction of unity. The systemic destruction of unity. That's what we are witnessing. What is your birth date? Mine is April 13, 1955. What is your birth date? Because on your birth date, whatever it is, you were born into a kingdom of disunity. The disunity began in angelic history with an evil thought from an evil creature, Satan, the enemy of God. Here's what he thought in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, Satan. That's where the King James Version introduced Latin into the Bible. The Bible is not inspired in Latin and called him Lucifer. 
Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, Satan, O son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. Cut down to earth means you are ruling the planet, earth. Isaiah 14, 13. But you, Satan, said in your heart, what is the heart? Thoughts and conduct. I will ascend to the third heaven, which is the abode of God, where the throne room of God is. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, above the angels in the second heaven. And the funny thing is, he was already the leader of the angels in the second heaven, so I don't even know why he said that. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. What he's saying is he's going to usurp rulership of planet Earth, sit above mankind, and the first heaven, which is planet Earth. Isaiah 14, 13, 14, 14, I, Satan, will ascend above the heights of the clouds. In other words, he'll take over the function of God. I will make myself like the Most High. That was the original disunity, the original selfishness. The father of division speaks. To prove his boast, God is allowing Satan to rule planet Earth for a period of time. Satan will not make himself like the Most High. In fact, he will prove that he is nothing like our Most High God. Satan will suffer a consequence for his disunity. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 15. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, which is the lake of fire, to the recesses of the pit. Tyrants always come to an end they seldom anticipate. In arrogance, tyrants believe with all their hearts, in spite of massive amounts of evidence to the contrary, that their evil seditions will succeed. Tyrants are bullies, and in God's universe, they will not succeed. In reflection on the first 12 chapters of our study of Paul's first letter to the believers in Christ at Corinth, there is a single theme, disunity with many examples of it and many facets unfolding. We live now, and we always have lived in a kingdom that is divided against itself. Here's what, sa what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or any house divided against itself will not stand. That must be what's happening in the marriages in the world. Six in ten first marriages in the United States end in divorce. Seven in ten second marriages end in divorce. Eight in ten third marriages end in divorce. Why? Divisions. Disunity. It's the funniest thing to me. Why would you bother getting into a relationship when you're going to be in disunity? Why would you bother doing that? Why would you bother doing it? I, I love reading dating websites. And one of the things that you'll see in every single theme is, I want, I want, I want, I want. You never hear anybody saying, I'm looking to give of myself to someone. Never see it. I am this. I am that. I am wonderful. I want a man who will walk with me on the beach. I don't like sand and walking with you on the beach. A tyrant has no integrity and cannot hold together a kingdom. In the United States, 
Is the United States and its people divided against itself? If so, it will not stand. It will be laid to waste. And the answer is yes. Yes, we're divided against ourselves. Oh, black lives matter. Yeah, right. Since when? Not in the 65 years I've been here. They don't. You know, we're always talking all this social justice. Yeah, where? Forget social justice. How about just some justice? How about some fairness here in this kingdom? Where is it? It isn't here. And it isn't coming. Because this kingdom is not God's kingdom. Believers in Christ will not be laid to waste. This kingdom may be laid to waste, but believers in Christ won't be laid to waste. As believers in Christ, we are in Satan's kingdom, but we are not of Satan's kingdom. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, As believers in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, from which heaven also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming back for us. Everything we experience here in Satan's kingdom is foreign to us, foreign to our very nature, and to assign an identity to ourselves as suggested by Satan's kingdom is ludicrous. And that's exactly what we do. Satan's kingdom is always telling us what we are, and then we buy it. And then we repeat it over and over to ourselves. Well, see, I'm the kind of person who... Well, see, I'm the kind of person who... Well, see, I'm the kind of person who... We allow ourselves to be swept up into division and disunity. Instead, as we study about the first century church at Corinth, what we see in them are the very things that we see in ourselves day by day. See, that's what we ought to be noticing. You know, we can, we can look at these chapters and we go, how could they do that stuff? It's so different now. No, it isn't. It's not different now. We're doing the same stuff, only worse. In today's lesson, we'll look at the systemic disunity being revealed to us in today's world. Systemic disunity. Interesting words. All right, let's hear some music. In the poem, Footprints in the Sand by Carolyn Joyce Carty, a man questions the Lord. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Lord, I don't understand why, when I needed you most, that you would leave me. The Lord replies, My precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints in the sand, it was then that I carried you. If you've got problems... There's a place to put them where they'll be handled expertly. The group for King and Country says the place to put your problems is on God's shoulders. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No. My strength comes from God. 
who made heaven and earth and the mountains. Despair holds me 
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for those big shoulders. Thank you for divisions, because they illuminate the people who are on our side in unity with us. Thank you for giving us the mental serenity that's required to live in the disunity of Satan's kingdom, planet Earth. Thank you for helping us to stop having lofty expectations of others who are deceived by the kingdom of darkness, especially our fellow believers in Christ, because our expectations are nothing more than premeditated resentments and disappointments. Show us how to make a difference in the world. Show us how to stand out in the world. Give us the courage to tell the world about your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his gospel message of hope. Teach us how to lead our fellow believers in Christ to his word and make us a perfect reflection of your thoughts to a lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the systemic destruction of unity. The systemic destruction of unity. Well, Larry, you may not have known this, but you're sharing your birthday today with Mona Wilson out in Michigan. And uh, so I'm sorry that Mona wasn't in the announcements. It wasn't on the list, <laughs> but it'll be on the list from now on. Happy birthday, Mona. We miss you and we miss Jason and we look forward to seeing you guys very soon. So happy birthday. Now, uh, Today's Bible lesson, the systemic destruction of unity. When something is systemic, it is a standard way of operating. It is an effect that is reflected in every facet of the operation. So in Satan's kingdom, everything is disunity. For example, in God's plan, what is systemic is his unconditional love, his forgiveness, and his grace. Unconditional love. He loves you with no conditions. He is not disappointed in you. He doesn't expect anything from you. He exists to give things to you. He created you, and everything you have, you got from him, whether you know it or not. Forgiveness. Every sin you've ever committed, past, present, or future, was credited to him and judged. If it had not been, you would have gone to the cross and died. If he only had to go to the cross for one person, to die so that that person could live, he would have done it. And then grace, when you make mistakes, God forgets it. He doesn't count your mistakes against you. You have peace with God. He has nothing against you. Now, you know personally that you do not operate that way. You don't operate that way with anybody. That's why I hate doing weddings. I think I've told you that because the couple is sitting there and what they're really saying in conditional love is, I love you so much, that lighter fluid love that's going to last one year. And I, just, I want to be with you forever. And then they have all these vows in sickness and in health. And then as soon as the person gets sick, they're out. As soon as the person makes one stupid financial decision that bankrupts them, they're out. Right? Like, like people don't actually go bankrupt and learn from it. There are people who go bankrupt and learn from it. There are people who go bankrupt and keep going bankrupt. Right? But 
do you genuinely think when you marry somebody that you're marrying a person who's never going to make a mistake in, in their life? Do you genuinely believe you're marrying somebody who's not going to betray you a few times in 58 or 60 years? You think you're marrying somebody that's not going to tick you off? But that's what people do. They go with this fantasy. Why? Because the world tells us that. Right? Satan's kingdom is all deception. Once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. I want to see the sequel. I want to see the sequel, because happily ever after ain't in the sequel. It's not happily ever after. What happened to Cindy after the prince took her back to the palace? Right? Was she cl still cleaning up the fireplace? Cindy Rella, you know who I'm talking about. Was she still cleaning up the fireplace? I don't think so. I think she probably turned into a, a shrew. I don't know that to be the, the case, but anyway. You know what I'm saying about systemic. Look, the United States has the fattest people on the planet. Why is that? All you got to do is go to Costco and read the labels. Everything, 90% of the stuff in Costco is designed to kill you. High fructose corn syrup is designed to kill you. It modifies your body. As soon as you drink something with high fructose corn syrup in it, you blow up like a puffer fish. Amen? And you know it. But if you bang your head up against the wall enough times, you start to think the headaches are normal. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. It makes you feel horrible, but you get used to it. And so you just tolerate it, and the body is an amazing mechanism, and it can adjust to about anything. But what are we doing? We're poisoning ourselves systematically. And since I stopped doing that personally, I'm in shock. Because I don't even think about going to the doctor. I don't even think about health as a concern. I grew up with a kleptomaniac. For me not to think about health, all the time. My mom was a walking pharmacy. My mom was always worried about health, always bringing it up. I don't even think about health anymore. Because once you learn that you don't have to systematically poison yourself, some magic happens, including the losing of weight. The losing of weight is just a bonus. I actually didn't like that. I ended up having to throw out about $30,000, $40,000 worth of clothes because I'm not fat anymore. <laughs> But I, I got a buddy who was one of the people who was the catalyst for me losing weight. And he's Chinese. And Chinese people, I don't know if you had a lot of exposure to Chinese people, but they're very direct, very candid. And feelings don't necessarily always you know, get into the mix, right? And so every time we would get together, and we, we were in 10 workshops together, Every time we would get together, he would sit down, and he would lean forward, and he would smile. And he would say, Rory, you are fat. You are going to die. That's what's going to happen. Because you eat too much sugar. And he was right, you know, so over 10 times. But in my head, there was a thing. It's like, I never met a sugar I didn't like. Right? So I didn't want to give up sugar. I really didn't. I was a sugarholic. But he kept 
badgering me. And so I ended up losing 53 pounds. And, you know, now he's badgering me. You have to keep it off. And you won't be able to. <laughs> you know, so there's no winning with this guy. But anyway, he sends me a video that he took of me teeing off in golf. And when I turned to the side, there was this gigantic, you know, I could see the twins, you know, my gigantic <laughs> stomach. And I'm glad he sent me that because it is my reminder not to ever let that happen to me again. But that we live in a kingdom that is where everything, if you decide you want to eat healthy, the first thing you will notice is there's no, nothing around you that's supportive of it. Why? Because that's Satan's kingdom. He wants to kill you. And we don't even think he exists. That's, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So when something is systemic, it has a standard way of operating, and it is not the way God's kingdom operates. In a systemic sphere of operation, every single thing in that operation is a reflection of the thoughts of the leader. So in God's plan, unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. In Satan's plan, deception. In Satan's kingdom, it is a standard way of operating to deceive, and everything in his kingdom reflects that deceit. Paul Harvey was an American broadcaster who worked, uh, for, uh, who worked in the industry, and he, his programs aired on ABC Radio in Chicago, as well as on other stations throughout the nation. Well, for more than three decades, from the 1970s to his death in 2009, Harvey addressed millions of listeners six days a week, giving them the backstory to people, things, and events, both famous and not so well known. Fascinating man, phenomenal to listen to. And I had the privilege of working with him. So one of the thrills of my tenure at ABC Radio in Chicago was, was getting to work with him. And often I'd end up on the elevator with him. He was a big guy. I always thought that he'd be a great basketball teammate. But inevitably, I'd be staring at him rather in awe because he had this really amazing voice. And as he exited the elevator, he'd look at me and say with his deep, melodic radio voice, Rory, good day. Because that was his signature sign-off. And if you haven't seen him, you know, you young people, you're looking at me like, Paul Harvey, whoever, YouTube it but not the parodies. There are some YouTube parodies about him, but get one of his uh, broadcasts. But it was always a great laugh to hear Rory. Good day. Well, in 1965, more than 56 years ago, Paul wrote something that still rings true to this day, perhaps even more so now than then. It's called, If I Were the Devil, and I'd like to share it with you. Here's what it says. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. You. So I'd do whatever is necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do whatever you please. 
To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. There are many truths. There are many ways to God. I'd convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. As for the old, I would teach them to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make revolting literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd populate television with dirtier movies. I'd peddle narcotics to whomever I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with each other and within themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each, in its turn, was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, that's how Paul would have said, if I were the devil. That was really good. That was, when you hear him, you'll think that was really good. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but ne neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those emotions run wild until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I could e evict God from the courthouse and from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress and in churches. I would substitute psychology for Christianity, and I'd deify science. I would hire priests and pastors. I, I'm sorry, I would lure priests and pastors into misusing little boys and little girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to live. And thus, I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep on doing what he's doing. This is Paul Harvey. Good day. On your birthday, whatever it is, you were born into a kingdom of disunity. You were born into the kingdom just described. It is God's intention that you abandon that kingdom for God's kingdom. Yet to thrive as you, uh, and to thrive as you live in the midst of the divided kingdom. It is God's intention for you to reflect the possibilities of unity in a kingdom of disunity. What are the possibilities of unity? If a horse can pull a 400 pound load in a cart, how many pounds can be pulled if an extra horse is added to pull the cart? You might be arithmetic in your approach. You might say 400 plus 400 is 800, and your math would be right.
but actually two horses could pull a 1,600-pound load in a cart. Why? It's called the synergistic effect. A synergistic effect is created when two or more entities combine to create an effect that is greater than either one of them could have manifested alone. God's idea of unity has genius in it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. Yet, what do we see in operation? We see believers in Christ operating as if they are part of Satan's kingdom. We get in relationships, but we operate alone. We kill the impact of unity. We kill the synergistic effect. We blame. We argue. We operate selfishly. In case you weren't noticing the theme of our last several months of study of 1 Corinthians, there you have it. Disunity and division among those whom God placed in unity at the moment of salvation. A group of people placed in Satan's kingdom who are not of his kingdom, yet who have adapted his systemic method of operation. Disunity, elitism, I'm better than you, and division. Is there any hope for Satan's kingdom? When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll investigate the answer to that question. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world For the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history Come down in history 
Today's Bible lesson, the systemic destruction of unity. The systemic destruction of unity. Thank you for giving. Your giving has made it possible for us to develop a youth ministry, and it is already having impact. Most of the kids went home after the first lesson and challenged their parents about certain ideas about church and God, like tithing, that were being taught in the home. That is not my preference, that the kids use the things they're learning against their parents, but certainly that's what happens when you teach the truth of the Word of God. We provided parents with notes from the lesson so they could see exactly what their children were being taught. Barah Ministries is committed to teaching the truth in every ministry because the truth illuminates. And your giving allows us to keep making a difference with the hearers that the Lord provides. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God the Bible. And last week, Pastor asked, he had a pretty uh, provocative title to his lesson, basically calling us all out, you know, asking us, are we difference makers? Does our life matter that we're here on earth? And I immediately went to the main difference maker in our life, Jesus Christ, because he, he made a difference. He made a difference from his birth to his death to his resurrection. And I was really thinking about his resurrection because that proved he was God. When he woke up, he proved that he was God. And that basically proves everything in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't prove the resurrection. The resurrection proves everything's right in the Old Testament. Everything that they prophesied about. And we can see one of those in Psalm 22, verses 16 through 20. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. 
Psalm 22, 19 through 20. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. Deliver my only life from the power of the dog. And this is David speaking before the cross even happened. So how did he know something like that was going to happen? Almost like the Bible's supernatural. And it's just amazing when you think about the resurrection because that made a huge difference. He came back. And it proves the Old Testament. It proves the Bible. It proves he's God. But it also reminds us to look forward to our own resurrection. We have a resurrection body in the future. And that's something to think about as we go through our daily life. We don't the world separates us from our deity. It wants to separate us, kind of like Pastor's talking about. It wants to divide us from the, the God that's inside us. And it want, we want to unify that. We want to resurrect that in all of us and remember that kind of thing. And the giving at the offering allows you to resurrect your giving. And Barah Ministries allows you to re- resurrect your spiritual life and start new and do something different with your life and be a difference maker like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so giving at the offering is really its tremendous form of worship. It unites your time, your talent, and your treasure in one. And that's something that the world wants to take away from us. It wants us to forget about that resurrection. It really wants to divide Jesus up too. They just want to talk about his birth, but we don't talk about his dying on the cross and what all that means. And they want to separate the resurrection. They don't want to talk about that either. But we want to unite it here at this church. We want everybody to know who Jesus is and that Jesus is God and that he's the light of our life, and that we need to remind people of that on a daily basis. So thank you for your consistent giving at the offering, and just remember that uh, we are resurrected in Christ, and we have a new life, and our citizenship isn't here on earth. It's in heaven. So thank you very much. back today's Bible lesson the systemic destruction of unity the systemic destruction of unity so Satan's plan for mankind is division and it starts with him dividing your soul do you know that in the last 20 years or so since we have electronic devices we no longer have the ability to concentrate we don't read anymore because it's too long we skim everything if something's more than about 15 words, we can't, we can't hang with it. We got these devices bleeding at us every single moment. 
and pulling our attention. Well, here's what researchers are finding out about our attention span. Our brain toggles. All right, so you're in a car and you're driving. All right, there's your focus. Then you hear a bleat and you look at your phone. Your brain's over here and not on the, on the road. You're talking on the phone. Your brain is in the, in the conversation or it's driving. So there's a reason why, why traffic deaths have gone up dramatically. There's a reason why comp, uh, uh, cities are investing in these uh, in stoplight uh, cameras and, uh, and taking pictures of you when you're going through intersections because people are getting killed in intersections in record numbers. People are running lights because they're not paying attention because their brain is toggling. And that's Satan. Division. He brings out all the tools of division. And we act like, as human beings, like we don't have a choice. Like we can't say, okay, I'm turning this off for a period of time. And you see that when couples are out to dinner. They're both sitting there doing that. Those things are infiltrating the bedroom now. They're both doing that. As a matter of fact, some people who come into the bedroom, they come in with their computer, their iPad, and their phone. And this is supposed to build relationships. It doesn't build relationships. Divisiveness does not build relationships. Satan's plan for mankind is division. Therefore, he must have a system driven by systemic disunity. That's what we see, but we excuse it. We like it. It's always been this way ever since the date of your birth, and it always will be this way as long as we live in a kingdom run by a deceptive tyrant. And I was thinking this morning on the way in, that's why one day the earth and the universe will be blown up. That's why your body dies, because in your body is this thing called the flesh, and the flesh is divisive. But you are, as a believer in Christ, a new creation, so God doesn't want anything near you that is divisive. There will be a day when we live in a kingdom that is unified, that has been unified from the beginning. And this, this kingdom that we live in, the earth and the universe as we now know it, and the heavens as we now know them, will be blown up and we will witness the blast. Every January 1st, at midnight, you witness a smaller version of what that's going to look like. Fireworks. And you better have a resurrection body that will withstand the blast. And you'll have that if you're a believer in Christ. So these, these things are not real to many people right now. They're not real to you. That doesn't mean they're not real. They may not be real to you. You may not spend much time thinking about it. I, I love listening to people talk about their stories about church. Oh, well, here's what happened in my family. Blah, 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 blah. Right? It's the same story they tell about the gym. Oh, well, I have a gym membership, but blah, blah, blah. Here's my story about why I don't go to a gym membership, and I can't understand why my medical insurance bill is bigger than my food bill. We all got the stories. This is the way we like living our life. Lying to ourselves. Adopting the deceit of Satan's kingdom. But we don't have to adopt his thinking as our operating procedure.
God's plan for mankind calls for unity. You know, there's a, an expression in the, that is making the, the, has been making the rounds for a really long time. It's complicated. Yeah, that's Satan's kingdom. God's, you know what God's expression is? It's really simple. It's not complicated at all. We do not have a God who is confused or confusing. God wants you to get to know him. That's number one. The way we get to know God is through the study of his word. That's number two. This is his word. 66 books, 27 of which you're responsible for. As you study the word of God, you mature. What does that mean? As you study the word of God, your thinking changes because you begin to think from his viewpoint and not from human viewpoint. As you study the word of God, your decisions change to be in line with his will. As you study the word of God, your power changes because you use his power instead of your own. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is all about we're going to be asked to take a vaccination soon. All of us. And we're going to be, we're being convinced right now that we can't live without a vaccination. And the things that people are saying that are in those vaccines are absolutely amazing, including metal objects that allow them, the government, to track us. It's amazing. But prayer can neutralize the power of that vaccine, the destructive power of that vaccine. Now, do you believe that? Because the Bible says anything you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Do you believe it? Or are you just a victim? Are you just this poor victim who was stuck down here and you just got to follow along like a dutiful little sheep? <laughs> or can you use a spiritual weapon? It's your choice. I know what the default strategy is. Human power. What we see in the first century Corinthians is a group of believers in Christ who are in the world but not of the world. They'll be in heaven with us one day. Their lives are teaching us how not to live our lives in division, in disunity, in elitism. Yet as Christians, we often lend our brains to the world system of thought. Here's what that looks like. Over on the right side of the diagram, for those of you who aren't watching, uh, who are listening but not watching, there's a diagram on the right, and above it it says Christianity. And there are three concentric circles, and in the center circle is God, and in the next circle it's the Word of God, and in the next circle it's you. There's God's simple plan. Get to know me, God. Get to learn my Word, and you will be amazing. But here's what we do. The world has a system, too. And what we do is we loan our brain to the world. And the world is bombarding us. There, were, there used to be arrows on the end of those things, and it didn't make the translation. But the world, or it's there, but they're just tiny, right? But the world is bombarding you constantly with more data than you can process. You, your brain is a five-pound bag, and the world is giving you 30 pounds of data to process. You can't process it all. So what do you do instead of processing it all? You tune out. You can't concentrate. You can't focus on one thing for an extended period of time, including your relationships. 
And then we wonder why they break up. We wonder why nothing ever works for us. Focus or distraction. The world is all about distraction, and it invites you as a believer in Christ to bring your brain over into the world and to be distracted. We give our brains to a kingdom that is not our domain. Much of the tribulation Christians experience is self-created, but we blame God for it. I just know God is testing me. God ain't got no time to waste on you. Testing you. Great teachers give you the questions that are going to be on the test, the answers to the test, and then the test. If God hasn't prepared you for the test, he's not going to give you the test. He's not stupid. God is not testing you. Quite often we think we have a better idea than God. And when we find out that we don't, tribulation. I don't know how life has been for you since we started studying 1 Corinthians, but for me, relationships have been in view. And what our study has illuminated in many of the quote-unquote relationships in my life is disunity. And I, I, I must admit readily I'm a sap. I believe that when I'm in a relationship with somebody, we're in that relationship for mutual benefit. I'm thinking that we want to meld ourselves together so that we can create a synergistic effect. I'm not thinking that we're operating separately. I'm not thinking that I have to beg you to interact. I'm not thinking that. But there's always something that illuminates exactly where people are coming from. And once you see it, you just shake your head. How often we put up with those kinds of relationships as, as if that's the only thing that's available. So the last six months or so, eight months or so, it has been brutal for me to see disunity surface, even in relationships I thought were solid. Where is the disunity in your relationships? If you're being honest, is the disunity your fault? Where are you coming from in the matter of relationships? Are relationships win-win for you? Or are you in a contest with people and you want to win at their expense? Are you coming from the selfishness of disunity? Or are you coming from the selflessness of maturity and mutuality? Our study of 1 Corinthians invites us to be honest with ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. Instead, keep on being transformed by God, the Holy Spirit, through the renewing of your mind as you study the Word of God. Romans 12, 12, continuing, So that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you and that which is acceptable to him and that which is perfect in result. As we face the challenges this year, is sure to bring 
Don't forget that we're in unity with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's fix our eyes on him, on his thoughts, and on unity. And in addition, let's reject everything that Satan is and everything he stands for. He does not have our best interest in mind. He does not have our best interest in mind. Well, the closing moments of this study are a time for me to remind you that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. The Lord doesn't want you to be surprised, and he certainly doesn't want you to miss out on your so great salvation opportunity. On the day before Thanksgiving in 1987, the news on the radio in my hometown, Chicago, Illinois, was quite shocking. Our beloved mayor, Harold Washington, was dead. He was in a meeting in his fifth floor office at Chicago's City Hall. He slumped forward, his face rested gently on the desk, and in a moment, he was dead from a massive heart attack. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says this, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. I can remember that day as vividly as if it were yesterday. And what I remember most was wondering what it must be like to get up in the morning and as you're getting dressed, not knowing that in a few short hours you would be dead. All of us will die physically one day. That's hardly at issue. What we don't know is when we will close our eyes in this life. And my concern is that you may be one of the people who's walking around today totally unprepared for this reality. I was talking to a young man on a trip to Mallorca, Spain, who was quite unprepared. I asked him if he's a Christian. He said no, and I asked him why not. He said, to tell you the truth, I don't even think about God. Well, I appreciated his candor. And I told him it would be wise to think about God all the time. He asked why. And I'll share the things with you that I shared with him. This is especially for those of you who don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. You were born physically alive, yet spiritually dead. And that's bad news for you. The worst news is that you may not even know that that's your situation. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ paved the way for you to get out of the predicament. The second part of 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, All those in union with Christ, and that's all believers in Christ, will be made spiritually alive. That's what it means to be born again. Well, do you want to be saved? Do you want to spend all eternity in a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ provides the plan. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Pretty simple. Right now, right where you sit, you can spend the gift of faith given to you by God and you can use this faith to be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God the Father's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. 
and that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's a gift from God the Father. So being saved is not a result of your works, deeds you do in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about having anything to contribute to saving himself. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you. And the funny thing about the young man I was talking to in Mallorca, Spain, is that he knew what faith is. He said to me, it sounds like you're saying if I put my confidence in Jesus Christ, I'll be saved forever. It's exactly what I was saying. Faith is placing your confidence in the object of your faith. And we never do that blindly. There's no such thing as blind faith. Faith is expended after evaluation. When Jesus Christ is the object of your faith, you will be saved. Now John chapter 3 verse 36 warns, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command, to put that up, he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So how can you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you, an eternal life that you cannot lose. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message from the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. Won't you join me in heaven? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you will. Mayor Harold Washington had no idea that he would not celebrate Thanksgiving in 1987, at least not on earth. Yet he was somewhere. He was in heaven or he was in hell. And quite often my thoughts drift to the young man in Spain. And I wonder what God the Holy Spirit chose to do with the seed that our conversation planted. Well, I'm sure the Spirit knows how to get him the information to be saved. If you choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have no concern about the moment you close your eyes in this life because at that moment you'll be in heaven and you'll have no chance to go to the lake of fire. So do it now. Don't let the day of the Lord sneak up on you like a thief. Well, We'll close with music. The sixth thing that Jesus Christ said while hanging from the cross was recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai, and it means paid in full. It was the moment when the Lord's redemption work was accomplished. He shed his blood to pay for every sin we would ever commit, past, present, and future. Our sins were paid for in the past, and they are paid for forevermore. And nothing can change that absolute fact. 
Here's June Murphy to say it in a song. You can't undo the cross. From the moment you believed You were indwelled by the Trinity You were saved by faith and grace God's plan Baptized by the Holy Spirit You were made new, you were made perfect And you cannot be snatched from his right hand You can't
thank God for that. You can't undo the cross. Well, we close with a doxology of praise to our God, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in a place of permanence through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to enjoy his gracious provisions. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In Jesus we have redemption, deliverance from slavery to sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20, now to the God, now to God the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is even humanly possible, according to the divine power, omnipotence that works within us. Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ Jesus and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for illuminating the divisions, and we thank you for giving us the unity, and we pray that you help us to know how to take advantage of the synergistic effect of the unity that exists within your plan. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.